0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Well, good morning. Today we want to start in the book of Genesis where it all started anyway. We're going to look at the first of three gardens. The first one is the Garden of Eden. I'm not going to go back through the entire story, you remember it well, but it's the creation of man where God gave man his parameters, his boundaries, his instruction and direction for life, gave him his purpose, gave him his partner, gave him all of the resources that he needed to have in order to be successful and in order to be obedient. But very quickly out of the gate, Adam and Eve destroyed that. And I want you to understand that the sin wasn't about the fruit, the sin was about disobedience. And so from that point of disobedience, we move from a, a space where God had direct interaction with his creation, with Adam specific. God had direct relationship with him and, uh, and communicated with him and, uh, and had a special bond with him. And yet it was from this act of rebellion from Adam to his creator that destroyed all of it. And so I wanna talk a little bit about that because ultimately that's where our story begins. So we went from having a personal relationship to rebellion, to experiencing partial separation from God where he removed his presence from us. He uh, kicked us out of paradise and uh, ultimately out of fellowship with him. And in its place became a, a sin issue for us in our nature. We experienced the curse and the punishments of the curse that led us to spiritual separation from God. And ultimately, through this interaction, we experienced spiritual death. And so in the very beginning, it says that God created man after his own image. But when Adam began to have children, his children were created after the image of Adam, meaning that they have a sin nature, a carnal nature, that we don't have to act in sin. Out our very nature, we are sinful. Next, let's move to the next garden. The next garden that I want to talk about today is the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, this is where Jesus goes the night of his arrest to uh, to wrestle with maybe himself or his his uh, humanity. Uh, And he begins to process what the night and the next few days are going to look like for him. The Bible says that he took the uh, inner circle with him, Peter, James, and John, into the garden to pray. Three different times, Jesus went a little further into the garden to pray. And each one of those times, it says he prayed the same thing. And through great crying and anguish and agony, he prayed that there please be another way to redeem mankind, another way to be obedient to the Father that wouldn't cost him his life. That wouldn't cost him the pain, and ultimately it wouldn't cost him the separation of his relationship with the Father to make the Father turn his face away from him, because Jesus is going to receive our sin on himself, so in second Peter chapter two verse 9, uh, chapter three, verse nine, it says it is not the Lord's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus there prays three times and he prays for a new strategy Uh, and he doesn't pray for a, uh, not for a new will for the father. He doesn't pray for the father to change his mind about requiring repentance, but he does ask for a new strategy. But each time Jesus responds with not my will, but your will be done. And, uh, and this is where the greatest victory takes place. This is when the battle really begins, but victory is assured. You see, in, in this prayer, Jesus reveals that the Father wins. In other words, the Father gets his will because God created us with re, for a relationship and, and Adam destroyed the means of that relationship. And now Jesus is restoring the means for that relationship again. Now we have the ability not just to have our sins pushed away or pushed back for a year, but now people can have the means to repent and to become the Christ's righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he, became, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what Jesus wanted, was to bring glory to the Father, and the Father wanted a relationship with us. And so he threw all of our sin on the only one who qualified for that atonement. And then he gave that atonement to anyone who would confess their trust and their faith in Jesus. So the Father wins. Now we have the ability to repent. Repent. Jesus also wins because though for a moment the flesh was begging for him to relent and begging for him to give up, Jesus was obedient to the Father, which by the way was his mission all along. We also win by the obedience of Jesus. We don't win because God favors us. We don't win because God uh, has a, a special agreement with us. We win because Jesus Christ satisfied our sin debt. We win by the obedience of Jesus, and Jesus was our only chance. He and He alone is uniquely qualified to die in our place. Perfection taking on sin, sin leading to death, death revealing the curse. See, what Jesus did in the garden is He begins the process of reversing the 4,000 year old curse. And so through the death of Jesus Christ, the curse is lifted, but it is not applied to us. Yes, Jesus has died for all sin for all time, but that cannot be applied to us as individuals until we accept Jesus in his resurrection. So the win is guaranteed, but the application of that win is when we trust Jesus in his resurrection. Now let's move to the third tomb and I want us to turn to John chapter 19 I'm going to begin reading in verse 41 John 19 verse 41 and we're going to read right through chapter 42 or chapter 20 now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid so because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was close at hand they laid Jesus there chapter 20 verse 1 Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that was the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loved, and he said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going together toward the tomb. Both of them were running together but the other disciple at round out ran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in he saw the linen cloths lying there but he did not go in then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and face cloth which he had seen been laid on Jesus head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself And they said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' And she said to them, "'They've taken away my Lord, "'and I do not know where they have laid him.' Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, "'Woman, why are you weeping?' "'Whom are you seeking?' Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, "'Sir, if you have carried him away,' Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her by name, Mary. She turned, and she said to him in Arabic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her i find it interesting on the day of jesus's resurrection that when mary goes to honor him and uh, the day after the sabbath when they could do a proper burial to get the guards to roll the tomb back when they get there the tomb is already the stone is already rolled away from the tomb And so when Mary sees that the the stone is rolled away, Jesus's body is not in there. The first, like anyone would do, the first thought is somebody has stolen his body. Maybe one of the disciples knows about this and they've made some agreements uh, without the women present and they've done something with the body. Of course, she runs to Peter and to John first and says the body of Jesus is not there. Peter and John obviously have no idea about it, but they're looking for evidence what will we find at the tomb that will give us some indication of where Jesus' body is? Because even though Jesus is dead, they still want to honor him. He was a close friend to them. And so, as they are running, John, being younger than Peter, we believe, is faster, swifter, and he outruns Peter to the tomb. And he gets there and he stops. He recognizes it's true the body is not there. Peter, as Peter always does, busts right through, right by John, goes into the tomb. He sees uh, that the body is not there. The cloths are there, the face cloths folded up and placed where it should be on the face of Jesus. This tells us that the body was not stolen. This was intentional. It was an act of order and intentionality. I find it interesting there at that moment they walk away. They still do not understand the resurrection. They are not filled with joy about the resurrection. And so they go back to their homes to try to put together the clues of where could the body of Jesus be. While Mary is still there contemplating her next step, Jesus himself appears to her, and she obviously thinks he's a gardener, But in that moment, he has an interaction with Mary and other Gospels, give us some clues and other details about the event. And he looks at Mary mainly. This is so impressive, so empowering to us. Up until this point, Jesus would say, my father, my father, my father. And now he says, my father and your father. And he says, my God and your God. Jesus is raising the belief of those who have been following Him up to the level of His obedience. I want you to see this because it is so impactful to our everyday life. Jesus is giving, us, giving away His relationship to His God and to His Father to us. In fact, He looks at Mary and He says now, for the first time, Go and tell my brothers. He has moved them from followers to servants, to friends, and now to brothers and tell them that I will meet them in Galilee. Such Such a shift in this one conversation. And he gives this conversation to Mary and Mary becomes one of the first evangelists to take the news of the resurrected Jesus back to the disciples. And so the resurrection is what reverses spiritual death. So all of the curses that come from the first garden now begin to be reversed in the third garden, in the garden of, of, uh, of the tomb. We have spiritual life now, not spiritual death. We are spiritually alive, but not in ourself like Adam experienced his spiritual birth, his spiritual uh, breath. But we are filled with the spirit life of Jesus Christ himself. Spiritual uh, separation has also been restored. We can actually have spiritual fellowship with God now. You know, it's one thing to be forgiven which the resurrection gave us but it's a whole other thing for the the relationship to be restored as well and that's what is taking place here look again at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 it says but now in Christ you who were once far off have been brought near by what? your prayer? no by your belief? no by the favor that God has placed upon humanity? no You have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that brings us near. Now that Jesus has died on the cross, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So, through the blood of Jesus, and now ultimately the application of the resurrection, we who were once far off have been brought near. Not only are we forgiven, but our relationship, like the one Adam had with the Father in the Garden of Eden, it has been restored. The resurrection reversed the curse. Listen to this. In John chapter 3, verse 36, if you have Jesus, you have life. If you do not have Jesus, the Bible says that the wrath of God still is upon you. So it's not enough that Jesus died on the cross and that Jesus resurrected. You have to claim that for yourself. You must have life in the Son. Jesus even told Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And he asks us the same question. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, he says, uh, Paul says this to the church at, at Rome, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. He's going all the way back to Eden and talking about the curse upon creation. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Not only did the resurrection reverse the curse, the resurrection also reversed sin. Listen to this. At one point in our life, now that we are sons, because we are sons of Adam, we are forced to sin. We have no option but to give in to sin. But Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says, After the resurrection, for for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are free not to sin anymore. I think about the deceit that the serpent gave, uh, placed upon Adam and Eve. I think about him beguiling her and tricking her and, and, uh, and not only the deception to Eve, but ultimately the rebellion of Adam came from that as well. But in the resurrection, Paul tells us that the the, the, uh, the power of sin in our life has been neutralized unless we want to sin, unless we don't trust Jesus Christ, unless we veer too far away from our fellowship with Him. So the resurrection also reversed the partial, partial separation from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, and listen to this, this is terrific. And He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where are we now spiritually? Am I here? I am not. Where am I? I am with Christ. I am seated with Him in heavenly places. We are already transported into His kingdom. His kingdom is here because He is here. And wherever He is, He rules and He reigns. How do I know that? Because the tomb is empty. We, uh, we always had the promise of a relationship, a promise of being family again with God. But the resurrection completed the adoption process for us. Now, if you remember, we kind of think of Adam and Eve being in the Garden of Eden, and I think of of them being uh, uh, excommunicated out because of Adam's sin, his rebellion. And uh, God kicks them out of paradise because he's wanting to uh, to keep them not from himself because the in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 he gives them the gospel again that he's going to send someone through the woman's seed that will reverse the curse and ultimately The serpent will bruise his heel, but the Savior, the seed of the woman, will crush the serpent's head. That's what happens in Garden 2. When Jesus says, Not my will, but yours be done, he stomps the head of the serpent, and he gains victory, and the resurrection proves it. Now, Adam and Eve is kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but I want you to notice that this third garden, the Garden of the Empty Tomb, actually begins to restore that. God is not keeping... Adam and Eve away from himself. He promises himself. What God is doing is temporarily keeping them away from the tree of life. He told them they could eat of any tree of the garden. Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They did. And once they did, there was no take backs. You can't reverse that. Now, perpetually, every man born of men is going to have the knowledge of good and evil. But there was another tree in the garden that God did not condemn them from eating, but actually intended for them to eat, and that was the tree of life. God keeps them from the tree of life, and now Adam and Eve do not have the fountain of youth like they used to have. Now, although they are sin, they are uh, spiritually dead, now they will ultimately, because they're separated from the tree of life, will also experience eventual physical death. And so it's in God's mercy because God wanted a, a, a live relationship with us that now the paradise was going to destroy. Why would God want us to live with the knowledge of good and evil perpetually alone from Him for all eternity? God needed to reverse the curse first. So now that the curse is reversed, I want you to see this in Revelation chapter 22. It says, then he showed me, this is, this is what it's going to look like in eternity, folks, listen. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Sin removed access from the tree of life, but the resurrection provides access back to it. God did not leave the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. God transplanted the tree of life and put it in his, in his proximity of where his throne is. The tree of life is in heaven. And now, because of the resurrection, we have access to the tree of life, but not as sinners, but as the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus reverses the curse. Now look at Revelation chapter 22. I've already read verse 1 and 2, but I want to read verse 3. Revelation 22, verse 3. There will no longer be any curse. So very quickly, as we draw to a close. The first disciples began to be evidence to them very quickly that the tomb was not just empty. He is alive. And he presented himself by many witnesses, first to them, first to Mary Magdalene, then to the disciples, and then ultimately to, uh, to many, many more. And through their eyewitness accounts, the whole world is coming to know the resurrected Jesus Christ. They know now that their friend is alive. Can you imagine? Can you imagine knowing that Jesus is dead, watching the torment, the struggle, the blood, the gore, the agony, carrying his body to the tomb, and then turning around and him standing there? I can't imagine what Mary Magdalene must have experienced and the joy she had when she began to tell others that her friend was alive. They also now know that their sin is forgiven. They know that they have personal fellowship with the Father. They know that now they will have eternal life. And from this moment on, we begin to see a different side of them, a side of them that no longer lives for this world, no longer looking for comfort, no longer jockeying for position in God's kingdom. Now we see them as servants. Now we see them as laying their life on the line. Now we see them sacrificing for the glory of God. The resurrection changed everything for them. But you know what, the resurrection changes everything for us as well. Listen to this in Romans chapter four, verse 25. It says, who was, they're talking about Jesus' death, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Because of the raising of Jesus Christ, we are justified. Because we trust the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are justified before our Father. Justified meaning that we're spiritually alive. And when God the Father sees us, He sees His children, His own dear children. Listen to me, do not be deceived by this. We are not all God's children. Only those who profess in Jesus Christ and who trust in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 says since the children have flesh and blood Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death we don't have to be afraid of death any longer death has lost all of its power only when We trust Jesus Christ we get to have God's spirit dwelling inside of us now because of the resurrection in Romans chapter 8 verse 9 it says you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit in the fact the spirit of God dwells in you the spirit of God dwells in you how does the spirit of God dwell in me because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ his spirit has now belongs to all those who will profess faith in him In one of the most popular passages of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He did something about it. He gave His only begotten Son. And because we have His only begotten Son, He gave Him to us. That word doesn't mean offer. The word is didomai, which means that He gave what was due. It's to pay Right, So when we think about that word, to give what is due, I think of Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here we are comparing the wages of death with the gift of God. The wages of death, what are the wages of death? It's due. What are the, the gift of God is also due. What I'm saying here is this. God the Father gave us God the Son, as a gift, because that was what was due for our sin. God's gift was in proportion to our need. God's gift was in proportion to our need. So for those of us who may think maybe we've outsinned God's grace, or maybe we have failed too many times, the way that God gives is in proportion to your sin. His grace is so much more than our, than our need. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not bece- be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I don't care what kind of sin you come out of. Jesus Christ is a forgiver. He's a restorer. He is a resurrector. And so that spirit that is in in us that's dead because of our sin, dead because of our nature, Jesus Christ gives it life again if we trust in his finished work. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. In Romans chapter, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, it says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. Why am I raised? Why am I resurrected? Listen to this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfaded. Kept in heaven for you. Listen, I I want you to listen to this very closely, what Peter says here. Heaven is not your inheritance. Heaven is where your inheritance is stored. Heaven is where the tree of life is. That's where eternal life is. But eternal life is not your inheritance. Jesus Christ is your inheritance. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And the only way to draw from that inheritance is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself is our inheritance. And one day that inheritance, as John says in the book of Revelation, I see, saw heaven coming out, or uh, the new Jerusalem, the holy city of God coming out of heaven. And so wherever God is, God is constantly coming to us. And that opportunity comes as a result of the resurrection. So when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There is no other way to have purpose, no other way to have power over fear. There is no other way to have forgiveness. There is no other way to have fellowship with God a relationship with God unless we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today we celebrate our belief. But maybe you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. First, you have to recognize your sin. And then you have to trust what Jesus has said about himself and what he has revealed to us. If you need help doing that, reach out to me. I want to have that conversation. In fact, I pray to have that conversation with many of you watching right now. But if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, but you're not living in the power of the resurrected life, let, re- let me remind you, you are adopted into the family of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Spend time in his presence. Remember who you are in him, and he will give you freedom. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the hope that we find in Christ. We lift up the name of Jesus, and we thank you so much for the resurrection. And now I pray for you to do a work in us that we cannot do, that you would rightly apply the solution to our problems. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we trust and we hope and we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.